Some joke with us. Uh, <laughs> just what a, I wish we'd press record earlier and we would you guys would have heard that hilarious yeah, bit. Beautiful. But, but anyway, anyway, hello, welcome to another episode of Community Notice Board, a podcast about suburbs we grow up in, local landmarks, hometown, hometown heroes, heroes, and coming of age tales. tales. We're continuing. Mm. It it's that time. It's that time of month. Underbelly time. Oh yeah. We're That's going it. in beautiful. to some of Australia's biggest true crime stories and we've done a bunch of the states but now we are focusing on our nation's capital mm-hmm. the australia uh, the act <laughs> the australian capital territory the jewel yeah, the, you got it jamie australia. i almost forgot for a second <laughs> what an AT, ACT uh, yeah what it for. stood for yeah. and it's uh, uh you know there's stuff getting around there's some crime down there there was a guy i remember there was a big yeah drew not winning raw <laughs> <laughs> drew beating danny in the act state <laughs> final was another yeah uh, that's still under did you beat danny in the safe, did, was danny in the state final yeah he was runner up <laughs> 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 the judge was his mum and his dad. <laughs> it was Stan, his so grandpa. It just sounds like the biggest tin pot town. It was like, who was the two finalists? Oh, you know, the Bensley boys. Brothers. Oh. Um, I remember there was a big, um, the big controversy around like 2008. There was a, a guy who robbed an armoured van at one of the clubs there. like mm. Which is not, in Canberra, there's, um, there's not really many like traditional good New South Wales pubs. It's all club shit. Yeah, that's all right. And the pokey stuff sucks, eh? Yeah. There's something no, weird the about... Pub that it's we like Bizarro the Land. Was was like like the pokey's pubby. Are, pokey's the Civic. No. The Civic. The Civic and the Old Canberra Inn are the two only like traditional pubs there. And then literally it's like... And the Civic had to shut down after we all did stand-up comedy <laughs> there and didn't bring enough people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the owner fucking hung himself later. That <laughs> <time>. <laughs> Jeez. Um, but the, so, and they make they just make a lot of money, and they give a lot of money to the labor like the labor clubs give money uh, to the labor. Ah, it's all a big comic yeah, conspiracy. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And um, can I say if I was ever like if someone said you have to do a violent crime, you have to pull off something. Uh, robbing an armored van is the one I reckon I could sit down. and... And flesh out. Yeah, that will so like is a delusional thought. Yeah. But uh, if you said robbing a bank, robbing this, or well, doing that, violent crime. Well, does I, I mean, you're expecting still, no. You well, if you, if you use a gun, it's a violent crime. Like you know what I mean. It's Even not, if you don't use the gun. Yeah, yeah, that still counts. It's still armed crime. robbery. That's what I mean. There's the threat of violence. Yeah, there. sorry, that's what I meant. It's not yeah. like oh, you're parking tickets and tax fraud. A heist, <laughs> a casino heist, I think would be fun. I, I'm saying like we should rip off the stuff. I'm not saying. I'm saying I think I could. So you think you can count cards? See, this is what I'm talking <laughs> no, about. No, I'm thinking like we Ocean's <laughs> Eleven and we put cards. Drew in the little thing, like the. Oh, I'd be like the little Asian guy. Yeah, like yeah. Back flipping around and shit. I mean, you <laughs> are just wearing. Drew, we don't need the straw hat actually. On this um, no, I'm saying what I think is the highest chance of success. Okay, and yeah. I don't, and I also think so it's yeah, probably the, delusional. Yeah. Yeah, the blackjack I, of, uh, of crime. Of crime. Here's, well, I, in my head, I think you know. I, you can, I used to um, these two fat middle-aged guys who can't become who are not smart enough to be cops to hand over the. the yeah, oh, yeah. you're talking about me, Drew. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I'm not fat. <laughs> um, middle-aged though. I um. I used to plan on Microsoft Paint. I would plan at bank robberies. <laughs> and like the tool of choice for planning crime. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Classic. And I would show my like my friend would come over and this is like when I was like thirteen and I'd be like, Well, here's the plans of the bank and so like what we do is we go and take out the cameras first and then we like I'd plan the whole bank robbery. <laughs> Erasing it with what? <laughs> Hold on, we changed a paintbrush. A, r- a room that just says the money and then an arrow going, well, we go in here. Dollar bags and then we walk signs. out and then a big smiley face. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was pretty close to that. That's so funny. To use like, did you ever paint. Did you ever try it? <laughs> it'd be so good. <laughs> like the moment you get in, the security guard's like, "What are you doing?" And you're like, "Fuck!" The Microsoft Paint did not account for this. Yeah, oh. yeah, I didn't have the contingencies. But oh. I guess in general, Canberra has a reputation for being a pretty, and it is just a nice, pretty, quiet, well, it's also suburb. It's also know. as a city is not like some of the other underbelly we do. It's like eighteen da da da, and it's yeah, like, you I know, mean, as, yeah, a, as a exactly. newer area with also less population, mm. it's just a lot less likely to be yeah. organized crime. And the right? biggest yeah. crooks are those guys down at Parliament House. Yeah, I was going to say, right? but also, I mean, like these days, there's a lot of um, 
sort of bikey activity in the area. And it is because everybody down there, like if you're a public servant, you earn above the median salary. Like they're, mm-hmm. pro- they're all pretty well off. Uh-huh. Yeah, And sure, sure. they've got disposable income. A lot of them are young. Like the fucking drug co- scene, like coke and yep. shit is huge down there. Sure. Um, so there is some like yeah. sort of bike activity. Great, yeah, there's a great Coke story I can't tell on a podcast. But, uh. <laughs> well, you're sort of giving yourself yeah, away yeah, a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for bringing it up then. <laughs> um, <laughs> but there is like, you know. And Ask me about it after a live show. Oh, okay. okay. Oh, all right. If we ever do one. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> we booked this if thing. we ever get scared of not selling enough tickets to a live show. True. Um, there was a, across the road from my primary school, there was a bikey. Uh, headquarters for the rebels in Queen Bian. and so like literally across the road so we'd be like playing uh, like just in the oval running around and then a s- fucking procession of 50 fucking Harleys are just coming mm. out it was like scaring the 50 shit out 50 Harleys all crowded around a Microsoft pain <laughs> <laughs> like, here we go boys this is how we make the drugs okay <laughs> put it in the bathtub yeah. um, but what uh, the story I want to tell which is pretty infamous there's a great book about it that Helen Garner wrote um which I highly recommend. And it's kind of a bit of a, it's a weird like psychological thing. And there's been a lot of interest in it for this reason. There's movies, plays being written about it. Um, but it's the death of Joe Chinque, who's a, he, that's his, that's how you pronounce his name. Okay, sure. Yeah. Okay. Is, it, is there something you want to say, Kurt? No. Uh, no. <laughs> you looked at me like you wanted well, me to Well, you laugh. looked at me. You gave me the smile. <laughs> and I'm going to uh, keep saying it. Okay. Well, um, Joe's a nice newy boy. What's his last name? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's Cinque. Um like No, no, I looked it up and uh, yeah, because I, I wanted to make sure <laughs> it was as racist as possible. <laughs> No, I, I looked it up because I thought it was Cinque and then I looked up a, a bunch not, of documentaries he's about it. He's an Asian it. guy, right? He's Italian. Oh, Like okay. Cinque. Oh, like literally the racist. Italian word for five. Oh. Un, dos, tres, cinque, se. Cool, okay. Is that really the Italian word for five? Yeah. <laughs> I think so. I mean, feel free to correct me, anyone listening. Any Italian. It's like the Italian Anthony word Anthony Ocasio, right in. Uno, dos, tres, boo. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like I said, he was uh, he kind of like one of these... Um, Bit of a golden boy, right? So he's just from Nui. His parents were Italian immigrants, like first generation. And, you know, by all accounts, just very sweet couple, very doting. He was the oldest son. They had two sons. And he was this, he's the guy who gets straight A's, but he also is the star of every, the footy team, you know, and every, yep. and he's nice as well. Everybody loves him. He's like quite a kind guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he meets uh, this woman. Her name is Anu Singh. And, so she was. She's from Sydney, and they met in Newcastle at a, a club called the Brewery. I don't know. Does that still exist? Queens Wharf Brewers. Yeah. yeah, I got kicked out of there for booing the band <laughs> two weeks <laughs> in a row. Of course you did. Because <laughs> they kept. You got kicked shit. out two weeks in a row. Or you got kicked out on the second week. No, I got okay. I got kicked out two times. I've been there. I don't think they were consecutive weeks, but they were within <laughs> uh, the same season of of youth. Was the band. Good. They just wouldn't play this song. They, would, they, would they play, wouldn't play the they, song you wanted. I they were just playing dumb original stuff, and we were like, "Play this," and then they wouldn't. And yeah. I was being absolutely belligerent, and my friends <laughs> to this day like you were being the biggest dickhead because then they had to. God, leave. I hope it's Cameron James's band. <laughs> no, no, no. It wasn't. He's dressed in like uh, a Franz Ferdinand uh, uh, suit. And you're like, "Play, don't dream it." So I over. was trying to be an asshole. I mean, I was you know being a bit of a belligerent idiot, but um, and I got booted, and then no, my mate's still like, "Remember you used to anyway." You used but to is, boo the band. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just. Had a, I had it in my bonnet at that point. Yeah, that got, he got a boo, you know. Um, <laughs> well, anyway, but it's a, it's a boo. It's a fucking unreal. Pop. So it's right on oh, the water. It's just the most unbelievable yeah, yeah. place. To well, so that yeah, they met there. She was like I said, she just she was uh, an A and U student. She just finished her undergraduate degree. She's an A and U student, and her name is also A and U. Yes, cool. Okay, pretty cool. And um, so she's uh, she's up there celebrating. She has a lot of friends up there. I think her family split time between Sydney and Newcastle. He's obviously a newie boy and he had just, um, he was a civil engineer. So he just graduated as a civil engineer. He just joined his dad's firm. So he's out there doing some celebratory drinks. They meet, they got chemistry. Um, they hook up that night. 
Hell yeah. She had a boyfriend at the time. She cheated on him. Fuck. And, oh, this is sexy. And, uh, yeah. I just go into detail about the yeah. sexy. <laughs> <laughs> you don't mention the crime. <laughs> I'm filling in the gaps here a little bit, but uh, it was hot and steamy. She said, I know I should have, but I must. <laughs> it was just become a penthouse for her. <laughs> uh, but, so, but, you know, she goes home. She tells the boyfriend they break up and they start this long distance thing. And again, this is kind of an insight. This is a bit of an insight into the like the kind of person that Joe is, because, like I said, he's very. He just seemed like a very genuine and kind person, and he would literally. So she lived in Canberra. She's still at ANU. She started a postgraduate degree. He's living in Newey, working as a civil engineer. And he, every Friday, he would drive five and a half hours to Canberra and then drive back on the Monday morning oh. before work. Like, getting up at fucking 3 a.m. to drive. <coughs> Cock. <laughs> yeah. Did you guys Simp. see the Beckham documentary? Yeah. You know, Beckham is like, oh, he's such a playboy and everything. And then when he met Victoria. Softcock. He's the biggest sweet. Like, it's he's, you know, a, a man would say softcock. A woman would be like, oh, my Lord. I mean. Because he would drive from Manchester to London to spend, like, an hour with her and then drive back. Oh. And, and he's like getting yelled at by the manager Ferguson because yeah. he's just like head over heels for this woman Damn. from day Bex. one and he's like the biggest superstar yeah. ever yeah um but I mean, yeah famously like the most handsome man of all like, he'd be up there Fam- you're doing the same like you don't agree you're like oh, apparently they reckon famously he's oh a- no i think in the 2000s he was a hot piece of oh he still is you've seen him in the, the documentary oh, watched the he's a very handsome man but he's also yeah he comes across and and in part of the documentary is him still cheating, cheating on her with this other woman that but doc- <laughs> somehow <laughs> it's it's teflon yeah the way you watch the documentary is really glazed over yeah and then he cheated Beckham's like, nah. Nah, uh, uh, we don't want to talk about it. And then he's like, but then like two scenes later, he's like dancing with Victoria in present day. Like, well, I and think everyone's Be- like, Beckham's oh, always been heart. adamant that that never happened. That's true. But he, do- he does it in that way that he he's like, he just doesn't say that never happened, but he just alludes that things weren't. It's also like, like a crazy strong marriage. Like if like tomorrow, like the-, like the Daily Telegraph came out and it was like, Jamie's cheating on his wife. Yeah, yeah. Like to hold that like, Together, Amy would laugh so much. <laughs> <laughs> Amy would be rolling around laughing. Yeah, I'd be, the, yeah. I'd be the deep throat on that. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, she was you mad because Jamie went home earlier. She was like, "I'm gonna give him a hello, Daily Mail." Well, Jamie's cheating on this one. Um, what, but, what's his name? Andrew Bensley. <laughs> cheating on me too. But anyway, so this guy is head over heels with this girl. He's Very driving from so. Canberra to Newey, which is every weekend. Hours. So, and ev- obviously, eventually, you know they. They've been together for a few months, and he d- he moves down there. So he quits his job where, he, like I said, his dad's like civil engineer. It's just classic, like father son at work. Like yeah. he's the new young you know guy. He quits that job and he goes and moves in with her in Canberra. In Canberra, in a suburb called Downer. This was very close to where I used to live, like on a street called Antill Street, where like I, I again watch this. Um, old news report from it. And they show the house. And I was like, I'm, I've definitely walked past that house. Oh, like, right. it's one of the main uh, streets. I had a friend who used to live in Antill Street. Very classic Canberra, semi-detached duplex uni student house. Sure. Um, and she's she's a little different to him. She, like, she grew up in quite a wealthy family. They're, like I said, they're from Sydney. I'm pretty sure both, like, I think her dad was like a well-regarded surgeon and her mum was also in the medical field. So like, you know, she, she grew up, quite wealthy, not like just first gen immigration, like newy sort of boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's also like, it all kind of came out in the trial. She's basically like a textbook narcissistic personality disorder. Um, she's completely obsessed with her own self image and sort of dieting. She would work out for hours and hours at a time. She once told friends she'd rather be dead than fat. So she's got this like mm-hmm. she's obsessive about her weight, and apparently, You'd rather be fat than dead. Well, <laughs> in my yeah, I mean, yeah, agreed. Um, and what apparently she, she tried to put this defense on later that one time in an offhanded way, Joe mentioned that there was this particular sort of weight loss pill, and he he, he was like, "You look, you don't need to lose weight, but like." Try this pill if you're going to... Because she would beg her dad for liposuction. And if you see a photo of her, she was rake thin. She had like abs. Well, and so she's she's like, got anorexia or something. She had, yeah. yeah, she had bulimia. She had a lot of eating disorder stuff. A lot mm-hmm. of... um, Yeah, she had just a lot of mental issues. She also had medical issues that were not diagnosed. But she, one of those people who's like... She just... She feels wrong, but there's no way to figure out. Like the, the tests are coming back normal. So the doctors are baffled. 
and then it, that's kind of frustrating for you. But also Joe's this like kind guy and he wanted to be a caregiver. So he put it all on his shoulders. Like right. he, his mum said she got a bad vibe off this chick when she came up. Mm. But Joe was like, I, uh, she, she's basically like, Joe said to his mom, don't make me choose between my family and her because she needs me. Like, I need to right. I need to be there to look after her. So he's quite doting. Okay. Um, and so she's got this friend who, um, her name's uh, Madhavi Rao, and she's seems to be a bit of a pushover and a bit enamoured with Anu and, and literally, like, will do anything she says kind of thing. And around 1997 was when... Um, Joe moved down and in October of 1997, she started being like, hey, uh, friends, I'm going to chuck a, a dinner party. So everyone should come around to, to my dinner party. Um, and she also told them that at the dinner party, she was going to murder Joe. <laughs> Okay. She's announcing it in the invite. What's wrong with code words? You know, just a little bit of charades or something? (laughs) It's two words, sounds like. Yeah. So the first, there was a witness called Sanjeeva Tenakun. A dinner party. I'm going to murder Josh. That's what I'm doing. (laughs) Yeah, tell you. Um, So the 24th of October was the first one. And this this witness said it was all pretty normal. They seemed to be like a normal loving couple. Um, But another witness told the court that, her friend Rao told her afterwards that Anu Singh had tried to kill Joe that evening but couldn't deliver a, a significant enough dose. She was basically, um, she was also a bit of, a, she would use recreational drugs and she, so she was buying heroin off a drug dealer she knew and trying to purposely overdose Joe while he was in bed. What, and all the friends were around? Well, this is what's fucking weird about it, right? This is where like the drama of it comes in because it's one of those things where you're like, Surely somebody should have been like, hey, Joe, I got an invite to dinner. Apparently, she's going to murder yeah, you tonight. Yeah, heads up, brother. But, but it was like eight, eight or nine people gathered around the table. They must have just been like, ha, ha, well, they, they just didn't believe her. That, like, they thought it was a joke. Yes, they were just like, there's no way that she's actually serious I about suppose, doing it. I suppose, like, you know, if you were like, I'm going to murder Hannah tonight, we'd be like, good one, true. Yeah, <laughs> but maybe I'm not. I'm going to call in sick to that dinner, you know? Yeah, well, maybe. Hey, like, I'd also dinner. like probably text Han and just be like, Drew keeps joking about killing you. <laughs> I, but I, I, I don't know. Like, yeah, Drew's not a nasty. Like, surely the friends are like, she's crazy. She's got to be a bit of a quirk. Well, uh, I mean, in a yeah, way. The but also, like that narcissistic must- personality disorder as well. It's like a lot of them are insanely charismatic. Right? Yeah, like, I think there's a bit of that. Um, sure. But yeah, like, I can't fathom like going to that dinner party yeah and unless you want to see something i also don't understand like her what is like her saying i'm gonna do it is so weird too because it's not like she's does she want to get caught is that the thing how's it not getting back to joe this poor like sweetheart she needed microsoft paint to plan this out (laughs) she needed to be like okay but tell people yeah and not only joe like once like joe goes and people like the cops are investigating and they're like, the stories start piling up about how yeah. she said, I'm going to murder my, yeah. like, Come around there's not much dinner. of a backdoor strategy. And, and she, must have and she fumbled, she fumbled the fucking bag on the first try. So she got him back three days later for another dinner party. I'm going to murder Joe for real. Yeah. The sequel. And they came back around. So, so Joe harder. She, <laughs> so they're in a relationship. She's sick. She's trying to uh, get better, but she's also losing weight and all that. But there's no, there, there's no friction between them on the no, surface. That not at all. There's no indication no. that Joe is a bad guy. Absolutely not at all. And so she just goes, hold on a minute. I'm going to have everyone come over and I'm going to kill this guy yep. secretly. Yep. And then she gets them all to come over for dinner. They sit down. She drugs these, him. Yeah, these doesn't all kill him. are news friends? Because, yeah, surely if you told Joe's friends. Yeah, like, these are all the news friends. Okay. Uh, like uni friends. So even if I was Joe, it's like, why aren't any of my friends? So she must have. it must have been some sort of mental like break from her, but also at the base of it, some sort of like power trippy, I'm going to do this and I'm going to make everyone watch. Is I, that, think you, I think he's, I see yeah, the allure. Yeah, I can see that. Oh, Jamie's getting, the allure. Yeah, Jamie's getting excited. Yeah, I right. see the allure. Ooh, yeah. Cover my beer at the so, pub with your curriculum. So three days later. She's, three days later, she has the second dinner party. This is the 26th of October. What'd they have? Um, 
This is Jamie's version of them hooking up on the first date. Is Jamie like they had a big old spread? Well, because like you know, like it's two dinner parties in three days. Uh, yeah, like, I don't know if she like switched the menu up. Maybe like they if got you're like, out. oh, we're doing lamb again. Like you'd be like, ah, come on, man. And it just had that. that dinner yeah, party. One trick pony. Look, who knows? Great, um, great Indian food, great Vietnamese food in Dixon. So maybe they got some takeout. Okay, um, that's not really a dinner party. Yeah. True. You gotta make some. Oh, they're uni students, though. That's, yeah. Let's come around with a bottle of cheap wine and we I got some takeaway. So. Yeah, I th- yep. Absolutely. Do you know what I mean? She's about to go. She's about to she's kill about our to boyfriend. Yeah. She's not like, oh, to, 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 to perfect I suppose this. if I was getting murdered and like a domino showed up, I'd be pretty happy. <laughs> she, um, <laughs> she basically laced his drink with Rohypnol um, and he went, obviously, passed out. And this had happened so, like, a few different times where he would be confused when he woke up because he's like, I wasn't drinking alcohol or anything, but and like, why did I pass out? Why don't I remember last night? And she'd wow. just be like gaslighting him into like, yeah, fine, you're fine. Um, everybody leaves and she gives him a hot shot of heroin, just like as much as you can get in the needle. Uh, and then like even more fucked up is she waits like a day to call the ambulance and then she gives the ambulance a wrong address to keep them off even more and he's just like slowly going blue and dying like so wow right yeah and so they, they that's awful yeah it's really horrific and this book by helen garner is great because she's um like you know she's got a background she's an author but she's like does does a lot of non-fiction and journalism and stuff mm-hmm. and in the book she spends a lot of time with joe's parents and goes and like actually talks to all the people who are kind of involved in it and it's really like detailed and it's really horrific like Joe's parent and mum especially obviously fucking hate this woman mm. but like just the, that knowledge that he died like in quite a horrific way and quite slowly is um is really fucked but it was cardiac arrest brought on by this overdose but here's what's the fucking the clinker is she got released so this is 97 she was released on parole in 2001 what? after being after being um she September tenth, two thousand one. She, wow, she, she okay. got convicted of manslaughter, not murder, which what? seems insane. How the fuck did she get that? Well, she, from she said she was going to murder from mental impairment. Yeah, from being like, oh, but but that, but and the, this book really makes a great case that you no, know, she was fucking. She had a control of her faculties. It's premeditated murder. She had yes. two yes. fucking bites. Two, of it. She had two bites of the apple. She got released on parole. I think it was two thousand one. And started, um, she's did a master's degree in criminology at Sydney University. Oh, my Is Lord. Is she still alive? Uh, she's still alive. She, I'm pretty sure she lives in Sydney. Let's get her on the pod. <laughs> she did a post What did you make that <laughs> night? Now, what's your itinerary for? She. <laughs> <laughs> what's the best dinner party? What's your best dinner what's your, party? Yeah, what's what your dream you? menu for a dinner oh party? Oh, my God. That's, cra- that's like. Uh, she was given a, she did postgraduate. She got a doctorate for her thesis called Offending Women Towards a Greater Understanding of Women's Pathways Into and Out of Crime in Australia. And she published that as a book in 2016. Um, she told people that murdering Joe was like a uni assignment to her, which is f- creepy as fucking shit. But that's like, when you say that, like you're like, all right, we got to rescind the manslaughter thing. I we know. we got to put it back but in. But like, like, there's a... There's an interview with her from 2017 you can watch that was like one of, you know, like a 60 minutes type program. And she probably subscribes to the Patreon. <laughs> she just, like, she just. It's part of her community service. Yeah. <laughs> you have to listen to this. Um, but yeah. Four, four years or have to listen to 30 episodes of this pod. Just like, just put me back in. Um, I killed her. <laughs> I did it. Um, but that's the f- but hey, I, I mean, to be fair, in a way, she hasn't done it since, I imagine. So no, no, no. Like, there may be some judgments. But like, she had a mental lapse, which yeah. you know, if there is if there is an example of that happening, someone who does it once and then doesn't do it ever again, that's yeah, exactly. the scenario, yeah, right? Exactly. But that's um, but it's still just like a real. Creepy and it's just so it's creepy because it's like it none it doesn't make sense in a way where it's like, I don't know, like you know. Um, John Wayne Gacy and all those guys, like, that doesn't make sense, but you go, oh, well, they're just, like, crazy kooks. Yeah, they're fucked. Yeah. They're fucked, but she's, like, that is even weirder in a yeah. way because it's- And she was, uh, like, very intelligent. Like, she was really, um, like, you know, 
HD's very unisite. Like she's very smart. It, maybe, you know, those guys who I think they're brothers and they were like, let's plan the perfect murder because they were very smart and they thought they could Microsoft oh, paint their way through. Yeah. Oh, the guys yeah. from like America. the 20s, the Menendez yeah. brothers. Something like that, I think. Yeah, there's a couple of things like uh, maybe the Menendez the one, or something. The Menendez brothers were like recent, but there's the ones I think you're talking about from, it from wasn't like their the 1930s and, or and it was in Chicago and they literally thought that the Bensley like brothers Nick, they, they thought they were like <laughs> supermen like they yes. were like we're, we're so smart superior. we could get away with this yeah. and we'll just kill someone to prove it yeah that's a fascinating one we should do a Patreon we can that. do that yeah we can do that my Patreon you gotta yeah, sign there's up there's something to look forward to there we go should we do do you want to do my one next yeah, 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 yeah yours, it's more light hearted it's even more light hearted like reading this article imagining that this guy is Drew <laughs> really kicks it up yeah. a notch. So okay. he's like handsome and you know, super, mm. like, mm. like charming. Mm -hmm. and, Tell yeah. the story, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the Petrov affair. Uh, it's a so the article goes: a defected Cold War spy, a man losing his trousers during a drunken <laughs> brawl on the Gold Coast. <laughs> Here we go. Yeah, see what I mean? <laughs> An Australian Secret Service operatives breaking into the Russian embassy in Canberra to steal a dog. All of these incidents are correct, uh, connected by one man, Andrew Bent. No, <laughs> Vladimir Petrov. Mm. The information provided by Mr. Petrov and his wife after their defection to Australia exposed 600 Russian spies across mm. the world, but they were a nightmare for the Australian Security Intelligence Organization to keep an eye on. So they were a punish, basically. That sounds like a fun sitcom. Yeah, <laughs> it know? would be great. Like, we could sell this to ABC. The petrol. Oh, your idea of selling it is just pointing ABC in the direction of a story, <laughs> and it's like, "Where's our money?" <laughs> you got, you got a better idea. <laughs> uh, on the night of uh, November twenty seventh, nineteen fifty six. The Petrovs were on holiday in surface paradise with new identities and new lives after defecting two years earlier. They were staying in a flat with ASIO minders and at about 8 p.m., Mr. Petrov went for a walk. And, and sorry, they are Russian? They're Russians. They're Russian yes. yeah. and they're spies. So they're they Russian. They were spies. Out of the Cold War. Yeah, so cold we'll get War. into it later, but okay, they were so spies basically for the KGB and then they got convinced to defect. Cool. And But they were still, they were in Australia the whole time as spies yep. for the Russian, then and double then agents. Just like gotcha. embassy workers. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, so, yes, they were staying in a flat with ASIO minders, and about 8 p.m., Mr. Petrov went for a walk, ending up at the Surfers Paradise Hotel. <laughs> Drew, remember Drew. Several hours later, he walked home in darkness, drunk. He went into a flat, adamant this was where him and his wife were staying, but he was wrong. <laughs> a man at the residence said, you don't belong here, and Mr. Petrov, in his drunken state, thought the remark meant that he didn't belong in the country. <laughs> True. A uh, fight broke out during which Mr. Petrov's trousers were ripped off. <laughs> <laughs> the other guy's like, go back to where you came from, and he just meant apartment twelve. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also like to imagine that he just ripped his own pants off. He's yeah, like, that's yeah, it. Yeah. We're fighting. That's it. Come on, instead of taking his shirt yeah. off, he takes his pants off. Full uh, stripper rip as well. Yeah. Like, the police were called, and after being wrestled to the ground by four or five officers. Mr. Petrov was arrested. He was taken to Southport Police Station and the arresting officers had recognised him from the extensive media coverage of his defection. At the station, Mr. Petrov was adamant his name was Jack Olson, which was a completely false name and not even associated with his new identity. <laughs> it wasn't <laughs> even one of his fake names. No, it wasn't his official fake name. He just riffed out a good yeah. one, Jack Olsen. <laughs> Despite officers telling him they recognised him as the famous former Russian spy. Eventually, with he was the thickest Russian yeah. accent of all time. My name is Jack Olson. <laughs> Eventually, he was charged with drunkenness. However, when paramedics arrived to treat him for cut lip and bleeding nose, he openly told them that his real name was in fact Vladimir Petrov. Mm -hmm. He spent the next night in a cell and returned home early the next morning to find his wife had slept through the entire ordeal. Come on, <laughs> that's Drew. <laughs> like, Hannah's Did he piss gone in the to bed. Basket? Yeah, Drew's thrown up on the toilet seat. And just been like, wow, the cats had something funny to eat. <laughs> the supposed arrest of the defected spy was leaked and it made national newspapers. Later, police and government statements denied the allegations. However, official ASIO records confirmed it was indeed the former Russian spy himself. The Surface Paradise incident 
was just one small part of the saga known as the Petrov Affair. It all started in 1951 with the arrival of Russian diplomat Vladimir Mikhailovich Petrov and his wife, Evodkia Alexvenia. A vodka. <laughs> they were experienced Soviet spies. Vodka lime and so. They were both assigned to the Russian embassy. In <laughs> this Canberra. is my wife, a vodka lime and so. <laughs> Can I have three yeah. more, please? <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Petrov's role in Australia was to decode intelligence from Moscow and establish a network of spies as the Cold War was heating up. Five months after his arrival, Mr. Petrov was befriended by Dr. Michael Bieguski, a Russian-speaking Polish immigrant. On the surface, they both shared common interests of drinking and women. But Dr. Bieguski, who's me, obviously, in this tent, uh, was also a part-time ASIO informant who had been ordered to persuade Mr. Petrov to defect. Dr. Bieguski had acquired a flat in Sydney where he and Mr. Petrov would often drink and entertain women. <laughs> so they would go to the King's Cross and they would get women from the broth. And bring what them was back. that gay bar we went to in Hawaii? That you oh, loved Bacchus. It? Bacchus, oh, sitting yeah. on the balcony of Bacchus <laughs> looking at the garbage bins. Yeah, This true. is life. Picking That's up, these two. Picking up an earring off the floor yeah. and putting it in. Beautiful. Uh, I uh, love that bar. Sick. The best was like you guys going in and being like, this is not a good vibe and Drew's already there being like, five rainbow five beers, rainbows. please. Yeah, my card was over the bar. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, on the... Blah, 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 blah. Uh, okay, so they would... Was, the apartment was in the eastern suburbs. Yeah. Like, it was down in, like, Rushcutters Bay area. Yeah. That's where this guy is. So yeah. they would drink, they would entertain women, but this also allowed ASIO to collect intelligence and photograph the contents of the Russian spy's briefcase once he had passed out from alcohol. So he wasn't some double agent. He was just the world's worst normal agent who yeah. ASIO were like, come on, dude. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know yeah. what I mean? Essentially. In 1953, a new ambassador arrived in Australia and the Petrovs fell out of favour. I wonder why. They were called to Moscow the following year to depart by ship in April where they would face an uncertain future. ASIO saw this as their chance to get Mr. Petrov, so on February 21st, 1954, Deputy Director Ron Richards came to Dr. Bieguski's flat and offered the former Russian spy political asylum in Australia. It took some negotiating... But probably because he was drunk. <laughs> but on the 4th of April, Mr. Petrov officially defected. And well, I love the detail of this is that he didn't tell his wife he was going to do any of this. Yeah. So she's like, we're going That's back to Moscow. Oh, and he's like yeah. coming up with this whole scheme and just not <laughs> letting her know <laughs> letting about. Her. Yeah. True. Oh. Uh, once the Russians got word of the defection, they placed Mrs. Petrov under house arrest at the embassy. On April 19th, she was put on a flight bound for Russia. The first part of the flight form Mrs. saw Mrs. Petrov and two her two armed Russian minders land in Darwin for refueling. This was where ASIO and local police hatched their plan. As Mrs. Petrov and her minders disembarked, the Russians were disarmed and taken away. Mrs. Petrov was then put on the phone with her husband, who the Russians had told her was dead, and just 15 minutes before the flight was scheduled to leave, she defected as well. Right. Thanks to the extensive press coverage of the defections, Australians were overjoyed that the Russian couple would both remain in the country. The defections were portrayed as good triumph over evil. The Petrovs were given a new life, new identities, and exchange given a wealth of valuable information. After hearing of the defections, the Russians stole Mr. Petrov's beloved dog, Jack, and kept uh, it at the consulate. Jack Olsen. Yeah. Mr. Petrov. Jack Wright. True's <laughs> beloved dog, yeah. Jack Wright. <laughs> yeah, Jack's in there being like, oh, I'm no. saying. <laughs> oh, I've been, I've been stolen. I've been what captured. Is, I'm saying. Why did Mr. Petrov, Mr. Drew cared for the Jack Wright so much <laughs> that ASIO operatives later broke into the consulate and stole the dog back. Man, it, what a great spy mission. If you're like a secret, like oh, James Bond type. Fucking a, rules. Like, what are you movie. doing tonight? Like, the, like your mission, should you choose to accept it, is yeah. to break in and steal a dog. It is believed so cool. Mr. Petrov gave his name as Jack to police on the night of his arrest on the Gold Coast because oh. it was the name of his oh. beloved dog. I love this guy. The Russians also severed diplomatic relationships 
with uh, Australia after the affair, it would be five years before their embassy in Canberra reopened and another four years before an ambassador was allowed. The Petrovs went on to give evidence at the Royal Commission into Espionage in 1954, while Dr. Biaguski sold the story of his involvement in the defections to the newspapers and wrote a book. The Russian couple became Sven and Maria Anna Allison and lived in Melbourne. Mr. Petrov went to work... Uh, went on to work as a film developer, and his wife found employment as a typist. They also published a book. Uh, in 1974, Mr. Petrov suffered a series of strokes which saw him live the rest of his life in a Melbourne nursing home for 17 years. His wife visited at least once or twice a week. His, uh, he died in 1991, total. and uh, his wife ended up dying in 10, 11 years later in 2002. Wow, that's, oh, that's like life. pretty good. Living till 2002, and you're like involved so good, in a, though, like to a defect crazy and be thing. like, mm. to your easier mind, has been like, that's it. I'm going for a walk and going to the pub yeah. and getting so blind that you <laughs> take off that your you pants. That you fight your pants yeah. off. <laughs> that was, yeah, that, but that was his MO, right? Because that's why yeah. he got he's probably kicked out of the booth. Yeah. He's just yeah. a drunk. Yeah, he's got a rule. Yeah, take king. I'll be back. Oh, man. Um, so I've got one more story as the boys refuel and defuel in Kirky's case. Kirky's um, <laughs> defueling. Defueling and refueling. Um, yeah, so I've got one which is a uh, what this is sort of in the 80s, 90s. It sort of goes on for a while because it's a bit of a it's a bit of a left turn of a story, right? So, um, well, I've got a I've got a personal connection to this story. Oh, to Colin Winchester. Yeah, this is why I wanted to okay bring it up. Is that because basically that the story is pretty? You know, so there's this guy Colin Winchester. Um, and this is probably, oh, okay, I think I know why you might know. So the son of a baker worked as a miner near Captain's Flat. Is that the connection? Well. Because your your dad's in Captain's Flat, right? Or was, was. Yeah. So Colin Winchester, his brother is Ragged Winchester, who. (laughs) Ragged? That's his nickname. But that's um, Blaine and TK's granddad, who used to play. Blaine and TK related. Yeah, they're cousins. And he used to play footy Makes with my sense. granddad, my great granddad, up in Captain's Flat. They all grew up together. Everyone ragged or Colin, uh, or well, I guess both. But like I just, you know them. I know rag, like I just know ragged more. He's dead now, but I like, you know, had spent more time with him, so I knew like his stories of my granddad growing up. And if you ask my granddad Stan about ragged, he would be like, "That bloody ragged Winchester's the best buddy bloke you'll ever oh. meet." Like everybody oh, loved him. Fuck. Uh, I don't mean to interrupt, but Drew told me an all-time story about his granddad and uh, grandma the other day. Which one? The the Camperdown Hotel story. Can we tell it quickly? Um, was the hotel in what, Camperdown with the Canberra Raiders players? Yeah, yeah. So okay. that like Al, you'll love this. Um, so for, I don't even know what the and it is tangentially related to Canberra. I don't okay. know what the in what capacity, but. Stan had a lot to do with the Canberra Raiders club when they started. Mm-hmm. And he and my uncle played development squad for the Raiders. And so they were going the on uncle a lot of these, The uncle we met. Oh, yeah. yeah. A lot the of Pokey's like uncle. Footy yeah, trips and stuff. Mm-hmm. And and Stan and my nan would go along to these footy trips. and um, But it was like also the first grade squad were there as well. This is why I like have a vague, not, you know, like my uncle knows Laurie Daly. Yeah, and like sure. drink, Drinks with him at the pub sometimes. Ricky. And Ricky Stewart, well, he's a Queen Bow boy. And um, so they're on this footy trip and they've, they've all come up to Sydney and they're staying on the corner of um, uh, Missenden Road and Parramatta. Parramatta Road. Is that Camperdown Hotel? Is that what you're saying? Uh, well, oh, no, a bit no, further down. A, it's the, I think it now is the Accord near okay. the hospital. Yeah. I know where that is. My, yeah. I think my parents stayed there once. Yeah, so yeah, there's, gotcha. yeah, there's a hotel there. They're all staying there. And um, all, the, all the Raiders boys like went out fucking King's Cross got on the piss or whatever and Stan and, and Nan went to some pub or whatever and they're, they're drinking drinking all night and then and you can see the like relationship to Drew mm. Bensley in this story too <laughs> well, well crucially that part of the RPA has like a like a um, mental institution or it was a mental institution back there and it was kind of infamous anyway my Nan gets up half cut in the middle of the night she needs to piss she's got a nightie on she walks she, she's looking for the toilet and she just walks out the front door 
of the hotel, <laughs> locks herself out, starts trying to find how she gets out, ends up walking, ends up in the fire escape, and she walks down, and she's out on, on the street, <laughs> literally on the street in her nighty, and she's trying to bang on the front, and the guy behind the desk is like, oh, some, someone's escaped from the mental institution. <laughs> and, and literally, like, Laurie Daly and that had to be like, oh, this is Phyllis Winner. Oh, my <laughs> God. <laughs> it's like five in the morning. She's like, let me in. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not crazy. <laughs> but Laurie Daly. Oh, yeah. so funny. Like one of the most beloved rugby players of all time. I ask him if he remembers that. That would be right. unreal. Anyway, That's okay. So, Colin Winchester, um, you know, brother of Ragged Winchester, captain's flat boy, and he's a um, – he's uh, he joins the Australian Capital Territory Police Force – in 1962, he's aged 29 years. And the ACT... Were, the, were they the feds then? Because just, just Canberra before doesn't that. have its own police force, Yeah, right? so, in, so 12, 15 years later, the ACT police and the Commonwealth police were merged to form the Australian Federal Police. Okay. So in every other state, or all the states, we have state police and the feds are doing federal shit. Whereas yeah. in, in the ACT, yeah. the feds do everything. And literally, like I've told it 10 times on the pod, but... The federal police literally formed from someone egging the prime minister, which yeah. is my favourite factoid about this country. Yes, hundred um, percent. In nineteen eighty, so the AFP they just over um, they just formed, and their first commissioner, a guy called Colin Woods, he wanted a big scalp to sort of like cement them as like we're a big overpower, we're, we've got this power, we're projecting, we're going to um, uh, you know sh- prove that this was a good move, and I'm going to you know be the, the king of this castle. So, and one of the biggest things that um, had really stumped. Um, the cops in the area of sort of regional New South Wales especially was the murder of yeah. anti-drugs campaigner Donald McKay. Oh, mate, I've been to that pub that he was drinking in, at that um, Killed his hometown in Griffith. This is a big part of um, that Underbelly series yep. Yep. called whatever the second one yeah, was. Yeah, that's, that's probably one of the best ones. One of the best ones. So it's – it's um, so. Not to get too much into that, but that was a murder of a guy who's an anti-drugs campaigner, and um, there's a, just a lot of organised crime in that area um, for for lots of different reasons. But um, basically, they're all growing weed out there, and there's all these sort of mafia links, right? So this guy called Guilo Goroncino, he's a former plumber. He's got political ambitions. He wanted to um, sort of rise the ranks in the Italian Australian. Um, uh, club which is i guess is some sort of like semi-political forum or whatever but he starts like meeting and cultivating friendships with several like mafia marijuana cultivators but he also starts like i think he's just a bit of a star fuckery i want to be yeah. important yeah. in some way so he starts talking to the afp as well and meeting them and ev- and eventually um he starts and he's chatting with winchester so winchester is um part of this um uh, as I said, the um, the AFP at this point, and he's sort of high up. Um, and so they, they said, hey, um, he said, actually, you know, I know. I reckon I know some of the blokes who, who knocked off McKay. I don't know who they are, but I reckon I could get in there. And if you guys could help me out, I could help you find out who it was. And he starts sort of blabbing and everything. So anyway, Colin Woods is like, yes, we're going to do this. Put on um, Winchester onto this task force. Right? So put him on the task force. And uh, what you're going to do and, and what ended up happening, I'm not going to get too much into this particular story because it's an incredible detailed story, but which is sort of sub um, story, subplot, subplot um, which would just take too long. But it's called um, Operation Seville. And it's effectively like the New South Wales cops um, effectively – it's 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 um Amsterdam in um ah, cool. it's it's you guys you're a mafia you're a guy I'm gonna let you guys grow all this weed and we're gonna just look a blind turn a blind eye but then we're gonna like um, get the big dogs get the big dogs and and so basically they just say we're gonna allow you guys to do all this and then this um um Guncino guy starts um hamming about and said hey I I know the cops if we give them a little bit of money they'll turn a blind eye we can grow weed here. And uh, he's a liaison between them. This all goes down for a while. Um, he starts, he, this guy's a in between. And, and basically he says, I, I, I've got them in my pocket. Um, they won't, they'll turn a blind eye. And they effectively were doing that. So Winchester was, um, uh, you know, complicit in that, but it was all above board. It was an official police operation. Um, and again, the aim was to involve and trap these people to try to get the top dogs and also find out who put on those hits in the mafia. So it was run by the AFP and the New South Wales Police. It ran for nearly four years. People say like this to this day, like it's like the most ridiculous, unhinged pro. Like you would never do that today. They just yeah, yeah. carte blanche giving these guys 
um, importing and, and growing drugs and just allowing them to do it. And they basically grew all these millions and millions of dollars of drugs out there in the, through the 80s. But the thing is, the crops, they're in such remote locations that they couldn't be kept under surveillance. And the Sydney mobsters started hearing about these mafia guys had all this weed and that um, cops were turning a blind eye. So Sydney mobsters started driving out there and just like, um, mowing it all down and taking it home because it was remote and there was no cops there and the mafia were just like the mafia's not like got 10,000 men they're just a couple yep. of guys out there right um, the Italian mafia that is so it just sort of unravels and it's this and Guancino there's a big shootout between the Sydney crooks the mafia workers Guancino gets shot in the leg um, there's 10 workers tied up one of the raids it's just a complete shit fight and uh, basically um, it, it all unravels um, and the the detectives really just they they get a few people, but it all just you know, falls to shit. They arrest a few people, but it's a it's a complete embarrassment. But this is what happens, right? So as it's all unraveling, um, Guencino refused to give evidence after all that. He said, "I'm not going to testify. Yeah. I was a middleman and all this stuff." But then, as it's unraveled and just become a joke, they haven't got anywhere. They're trying to like pick up the pieces. 10th of January, 1989, 9.15 p.m., Winchester, at his home in Canberra, in Deakin. He's in his driveway, in the car, shot twice in the head with a Ruger 22 caliber semi-automatic rifle, um, dead. Winchester, he is the most senior police officer to have ever been murdered in Australia to this day. It was like um, a big political assassination. It's a, it's a, a, yeah, a, He was course. the commissioner, right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. he was like the police commissioner, so he was like... It was a very senior, clear murder. And obviously because of all that that's happened as well and, and there's been other people have been killed and all that, everyone's instantly thinking mafia, mafia. Yeah. You know, he, he was close to getting him. It was that Gensino's like he didn't want to get dobbed in as the guy who was dobbing people in. So did he do it? Like there's all this stuff. But the next day, police interview a retired public servant, David Eastman. Mm-hmm. So according to media reports, Eastman... It's this guy. He was a public servant in Canberra. He's the kind of guy that would be aggressively in Facebook comments today. Like, yeah, right. He is. He's a letter to the editor. He's kind of a. Guy. It's it's very um, very smart guy. Very problematic. Um, yeah, like argumentative, autistic. Maybe I don't know. They it, don't it's, directly he say. Seems it. pretty autistic. But but a very very intelligent man. So he's a public servant. And what happened with Eastman? He became an involvement a dispute with his neighbour. He was charged with assault. He led a he, or he sorry he retired from the public service because of health reasons. Then that happened. He was charged with assault, and he was determined he wanted his job back. And he was determined that the assault charge would prevent him. He was determined to campaign to the police that he'd been wrongly charged. He was neighbor who'd been the instigator and he just um, annoyed, annoyed, annoyed the cops. And he would write letters to Colin Win- like, you know, he- The chief of police officer of ACT, Colin Winchester. And he blamed I, I, I will write to you, uh, you must review this assault, it's unfair, da, da, da. Eventually, Winchester meets with him. It was brokered by a shadow attorney general, um, the commissioner of Australian police force. So this guy like, agitated his way to a meeting of- some of the biggest cops and you know police and enforcement people in the country and on the on the 21st of december winchester advised eastman he would need to face assault charges in court he's not going to withdraw them you've got to go to court mate i can't get you off this you need to defend yourself in court um and then 20 days later winchester was dead so they arrest eastman 85 day trial that commenced in 1995. There's a lot of people saying the cops are just doing this so they don't look into all this other stuff that was going on. Yeah. They've just arrested this cuckoo, just had this like weird interaction Vendetta with him. Vendetta. Them. So Eastman, the trial, Eastman repeatedly sacked his legal team. <laughs> Very Andrew Bensley. In a way. I will represent <laughs> myself. He literally eventually chose to represent himself. Because yeah. um, he was all such... These- Criminals so, are just true. So he also um, he also uh, was accused. Well, he also and I um, assume he's pleading innocent, right? Of course, yeah. So he also says he abused the judge during his trial, during later appeals. He made vile, foul mouth comments to the judge, telling him on one occasion, "You wouldn't know the law from a bull's foot. You're a silly old man, a nasty old man. You're a corrupt shit. You're a lying cunt." <laughs> so he's just, escalated. He's just really going at the silly. judge. Yeah. You're a silly Billy. You wouldn't know this from no, a from bloody, bloody old bull's foot. From a, from a pudding. <laughs> you old <Yeah>. cunt. <laughs> you stupid cunt. Fucking cunt. Um, so while self-representing himself, Eastman also 
chose to not cross-examine a witness as a protest against judicial condemnation of harassment. So he was like, I'm being treated unfairly. And as a protest, I will not cross-examine the witness who just said I'm guilty. So, like, the worst (laughs) legal... Yeah. So, a written report for Eastman's murder trial... Drew taking notes. So, he had um, previously had six charges of... He threatened to kill people in writing all these times, making harassing phone calls and all this stuff. And so, he would um, also been charged with assault a couple of times. So, the prosecution's case was purely circumstantial. After a very difficult trial, he was found guilty. And he was convicted of murder. He was sentenced to life imprisonment. So, subsequent to the conviction, Eastman, again, very litigious, repeatedly appealed his conviction. So, this was in 1995, and he lost an appeal in the federal court in 1999, a subsequent appeal in 2000. And also in 2001, because he was in jail, he was evicted from his public housing apartment that he had not occupied because he'd been in jail. He appealed, the, while in jail, he appealed the eviction. So he's getting evicted while he's in jail and he's appealing yeah, that sad. as I did not have enough time to, uh, you know, you're supposed to give me 30 days warning, but I've been in jail. So And he's just the most litigious argument if guy ever. He's also um, fl- uh, lodged many, many uh, complaints and uh, proceedings against ill treatment by guards and all this. 2000 and 2001, he successfully lobbied for a judicial review um, based on the fact that he says he did not have the mental capacity in order to plead for the trial. So he's sort of claiming everything. I'm insane. I can't do this. It's yep. unfair. Eventually, 2005, um, he gets f- um, proven he was fit to stand trial. Unreliable forensic evidence. Um, was dis- Everything was dismissed. 2008, he gets another appeal before the full bench of the f- federal court. Again, without legal representation, he this matter is dismissed. And then finally, he's just spent ten year, over 10 years nearly agitating. He finally gets another inquiry into his conviction. And by now, they've found this loophole or this problem, which was one of the, um, one of the evidence, the circumstantial use evidence against him was that a brand of gunpowder that was at the crime scene matched a type found in his car. Mm. They basically said, that's... The, the methods that the, the doctor did, the, the doctor, the scientist did to prove that is bullshit. And just because it's one brand, like that brand is the most common brand. And there was all these reasons why that was complete um, bunkum, right? Yeah. So they, they do that. They also said there was not enough evidence to investigate the alternate hop, um, hypothesis about his links, the links, Winchester's links to mafia. They never looked into that. So this appeal um, uh, uh, inquiry, it's not a, a court case it's just an inquiry but they basically do this report that says this was bullshit this was bullshit it should have been like this they should have looked into more like this and basically um uh they they also that the cops were very like adamant to try to convict him in fact that they basically like sought pretext to visit eastman and provoke him to, uh, uh, yeah, and yeah, so they would yeah. keep pulling him over all the time, even though they hadn't have enough evidence. And they kept pointing to him. This came out in the, in the inquiry. They claimed to have knowledge of his visits to brothels and his sexual interest in young boys. Oh. So if I was Eastman, I'm like, can we just scratch that part? <laughs> yeah. well, Maybe he struck like, that. He struck that. So anyway, after 19 years in jail, after the inquiry, they squash his conviction and they, get, and they put him for a retrial. 2018, Found not guilty. So he's a free man. He's as still litigious as ever, lodged a civil claim against the government seeking compensation for wrongful imprisonment. He rejected an offer of $3 million from the government, asking for more, asking for at least $18 million. And then um, a couple of years later, 2019, October 2019, ACD Supreme Court awarded him $7.202 million in compensation and ordered the government to pay his costs. So this guy is like doubling down. Imagine you get three million. He's like, no, I want one. And then you get yeah. seven. And so, I think he did it. Well, here's the thing. I absolutely this is a funny. So I went through all that. And I'm like, wow. So who killed him? The inquiry says, at the end of the inquiry, they basically say, he probably did. It. <laughs> yeah. They literally hell. say that. So this is some of the. I'll give you some of the actual circumstantial evidence. Okay. So um, he. So Winchester was killed on the 10th of January 1989. Um, on the 10th of January 1999 is the date um, that Eastman got the letter that says, we will not um, be dismissing this assault. He got a letter on that day, right? On that day. Um, he was shot dead um, in his car, as we say. 
Um, he was angry. He, so he had this motive, obviously he had a very clear motive about mistreatment. Owns is actually trying to get us dismissed. And he thought that Winchester was, was the reason. He also said to his doctor, um, Eastman's doctor, Dr. Rowntree, testified during a medical visit. Eastman had said, in reference to Winchester, I should shoot the bastard. <laughs> on the 10th of March, he said, I'll probably have to kill someone to get attention paid to the injustice that's been done to me. And uh, so on that day, he gets a letter. This is his alibi. Um, Eastman's alibi. I was having sex with young boys. <laughs> <laughs> How many times do I have to tell you? Very damning was Eastman's account of his movements on the night. He said he was driving around Canberra but couldn't remember any time or locations. So he just said, I was driving around randomly at night. And this guy's like a brainiac like we'll remember yeah, like i was wearing know, a right? yellow striped yeah, tie yeah, that day yeah. and he's like i can't remember what i was doing i was just driving around and they're like that's just ridiculous you think you think of an alibi you think you think of he also falsely de denied that he was worried about the assault charges like he, he he gave all these false like he's uh he said i wasn't actually worried about winchester and getting the assault i wasn't that worried about that at all and then like what about this person that says that you said i'm going to kill her like he's yeah. clearly lying about all these backgrounds about this huge dossier of letters yeah. that you've sent you've sent to every single person saying i <laughs> yeah. have to kill someone to get any attention the murder weapon was never found but it was a ruger 1022 rifle the shells were matched to uh, a rifle that belonged to a gun store owner claren beak who had sold it privately like two weeks before and Eason was identified in that store by another customer. Um, he also, uh, another guy, um, looking good another, another guy identified Eastman as someone who tried to sell him the same rifle um, uh, around the time of the murder. Um, he also, uh, also a couple of days before the murder, a car matching Eastman's description, including a close match of the number plate with the driver acting suspiciously was seen outside Winchester's house and also around the AFC, AFP car park. The gunshot residue thing it matched the brand, but they said, well, that doesn't mean anything. But it didn't, it wasn't like um, exonerating ever. It wasn't yeah. like you, oh, it matched another brand. But it's still like, he, you know, it's so much disparate stuff that you're like, clearly. Yeah. They, so they overplayed their hand with that stuff to get him convicted. And I said, well, that doesn't, that might mean there's a one in 10 chance of him just from the gunshot, mm. not a one in a million, it's, right? Have you and, ever seen that movie 12 Angry Men where they like debate? So it's like, the whole movie's like someone's done this thing and then the, all the jurors go back. Sounds like an open mic lineup. Right? <laughs> <laughs> there he is. Well, they're like, hey. they're deliberating ab about this murder and the whole movie is like one guy convinces the rest of the jury that it's not him. But the whole thing is him just being like, oh, this is circumstantial for this reason, this reason, this reason. And it's supposed to be this like, oh, wow, was he like, maybe he was innocent the whole time and this guy's just reasoned it. But if you just look at the weight of evidence, like, no, you just got to... It, a clearly guilty guy off. It's just, just yeah, of course. You just go, uh, you know, you go from, okay, it's not one in a billion, which is a DNA match. Yeah, exactly. It's one in 10, like 50,000, which is like, who else is it? Like the, the odds that it's someone else, right? So, you know, when you add it all up, you go, it's just the circumstantial evidence just overwhelming. But here's, the, here's my favorite one, um, which is after the initial police interview, the day after the killing, um, Eastman exercised his right to silence, avoid communicating with cops. The cops bugged his home. They recorded Eastman talking to himself while at home alone. The recordings were not very clear. The prosecution defense each presented their own voice experts on the transcript. So a lot of it was not admissible because no one could agree. However, a number of passages of the recordings were highly incriminating interpretations that even the defense experts accepted, including that Eastman had probably said, he was the first man I ever killed. <laughs> <laughs> so he's doing the dishes mumbling well, to himself. Can't believe I killed someone. Can't believe yeah. I killed someone. I'm going to get away with it. Um, and so, I rock. And then Justice Brian Martin, the guy who did the, the thing that sort of got him off in the end, which was like this case was highly circumstantial and nowhere and did not meet the, the um, level of probable, of a, um, not probable cause, of um, you know reasonable proof. doubt. Reasonable doubt, right? So he said that, um, he was denied a fair trial, although he was fairly certain Eastman was guilty of the murder. A nagging doubt remains. So there's all these red herrings about the mafia stuff that they've they've yeah. all looked into, and it's all like there's and apparently the other thing is like everyone keeps saying everyone who's involved says Winchester was straight as an arrow. He wasn't corrupt. He wasn't um, oh, yeah, he taking was bribes or anything like impeccable that. Impeccable character. Impeccable character. And they're like, why would like the mafia were not in the like just shooting a cop who who was presiding over a thing that was winding down was not going to do anything because yeah, then someone exactly. else just gets the evidence. Like you want to shoot a guy who's corrupt. Is keep 
like keep the heat off us. Yeah. Don't or, or it's gonna it's knock off a guy who knows who's corrupted with us, who's gonna turn on yeah, us. Yeah. Right? So it's some guy who's like, he knows what's going on and I think he's getting a bit worried. Yeah. Let's knock him off. But not just a guy who's doing his job. So yeah, basically it's, just it's a almost kook, certainly literally a kook, a kook who a kook. shot him. There we go. I love it. Winchester. But yeah, that's a that is a hectic fucking insane story. Like it's, it's literally the, the you know, the commissioner. It's a, like it's a, it is a the political commish. assassination. And that that the the guy is such a, a typical like that Eastman you see him oh, a lot dude. of like oh. um it's like Unabomber, it's like the the family court bombing guys they're yeah. like oh, yeah. they're red hot under their collar about injustice and they can't they don't know how to deal with and it. And they're so um fixated on like the and it's probably like an autism spectrum thing where they literally they like think that the everyone's against them and they're so letter of the law yeah. that like well this is well technically this is new. he's just the most he's filed like 800 court cases yeah, about every single thing all righty so that's canberra that's the act baby that is ACT. our nation's capital we have a patreon five dollars a month gets you two bonus episodes a month check them out they have been red hot they've been so fun to record also hit us up on social media we love hearing from you and keep listening to pod rate and review it on uh, apple Podcasts or spotify uh, mm-hmm. apart from that We'll see you next week, everybody. Goodbye. Catches.